0: I also like to get ideas from other people. So I kind of try to think about what are the questions people are asking me. And for those who own businesses, I'm sure whatever it is that their business is in, people consider them an expert and are probably asking them questions. So for me, I get a lot of emails from people saying, I want to be a freelance writer. How do I get started? How did you get your first client? what's the best way to send a pitch to an editor? So I kind of look at all of those questions that I get or questions that I see other people maybe asking on Twitter or on Instagram, and I consider those ideas as potential content for, for my blog.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 151 of How I Built It. Today, I'm talking to Jessica Lawler, a content manager and strategist. Your content plan is integral to your small business, as I've learned over the past couple of years. I'm being a lot more intentional this year, and in this episode, Jessica's talks about how you can, too. We chat about content calendars, answering important questions regarding your goals, and how to create content even if you are strapped for time. You'll hear me say things like, that's fantastic, and I love that a lot, because honestly, Jessica says it all. I had nothing more to add. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Before we get started, I want to tell you about my online membership and community creator courses. So I know that when you want to learn something new, the natural thing you probably do is go to Google or YouTube. I do the same thing. And that's really great for one-off projects. I uh, used a YouTube video to learn how to change a light switch in my house Uh, but i am not a big fan of youtube for learning new skills right because there are lots of videos on every topic but which one is best and who do you trust what order do you even watch the videos in and will you get the support you need these are all things that youtube or other potentially free videos can't do for you so Uh, I started Creator Courses a few years ago with the idea of uh, just putting online courses out there, and I decided to morph it into a membership last year. So uh, stop wasting your time hunting and pecking for the right learning resources and tools. Over at Creator Courses, you can become a member and take all of the courses that we have to offer uh, included in that membership. And those courses, focus on everything from just basic WordPress up to learning how to build websites without code. Something you don't necessarily need to do uh, in this day and age. And all of the courses are developed by me. uh, And if you listen regularly, you know that I've been a developer for decades at this point. And uh, I have lots of experience building websites. I'm a teacher at heart and I've created courses for LinkedIn Learning and things like that. So Uh, On top of the courses, we're also a community and members get access to forums and Slack and office hours with me. And so I just wanted to let you know about that and encourage you to join if you haven't already. Uh, Listeners of the show, exclusively for listeners of the show, you can save 15% on all memberships, including the Lifetime membership. All you have to do is visit creatorcourses.com slash build. That's creatorcourses.com slash B-U-I-L-D. Thanks so much. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is Jessica Lawler. She is the founder and CEO of Jessica Lawler & Company, a content management business. Jessica, how are you today?
0: I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Thanks for being on the show. I'm excited to talk about this because while I... Uh, this producing content is my kind of primary business now between my courses and the podcast. I feel like I just recently started to be intentional about my messaging and kind of the flow of a podcast season. So I'm excited to talk to you.
0: I'm excited to talk to you as well. And that's great to hear.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So why don't we start off with a, a little bit about who you are and what you do?
0: Absolutely. So, my name is Jessica. I, uh, my background is actually in public relations. So, I graduated from college in 2010. I went to Temple University here in Philadelphia. I studied PR. That was what my career was in for a while, but I've always loved to write. And, and communicating via writing is something that I've just always been super passionate about, very excited about. And over the years, I've had various blogs. I had a book review blog at one time, I had a personal blog at one time, and now I have more of a business blog. But while I was in college, and then as I started my career in public relations, I was creating content online via my blog and via social media. And actually, it was through my blog that I landed my first professional freelance writing opportunity. I actually met someone on Twitter who asked me if I'd be interested in helping to create some blog content, and I realized it kind of opened up this whole world to me that you can really build a career and and develop a passion through content. And so ever since then. I've kind of built a side hustle doing freelance writing, and then three years, I took my side hustle full-time, and I started Jessica Lawler & Company, which I call JL & Co. for short. And it's all about content management and helping people to tell better stories.
1: That's uh, fantastic for a couple reasons. First of all, uh, this is this is going to be telling of, um, you know, that I didn't, I feel like I didn't do a lot of deep research, but I like to be surprised. And I was surprised to hear that you are in Philly. I am in the Westchester area.
0: Oh my gosh. What a small yeah. world.
1: <laughs> I know. So we are relatively close. Um, and uh, that's, it's it's really cool to hear how you landed your first um, kind of professional content, professional writing gig. Uh, I feel the same thing happened to me with with websites. Basically, somebody was like, you're good with computers. Can you make a website? And I said, no. And they said, I'll pay you. Uh, and that, like you said, opened up a whole world uh, to me. So um, that's a really great story, which is good because that's kind of what we're going to talk about, right? Um, I kind of said at the top of the show that I've been trying to be more intentional about my content uh, and 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 putting out the right messages. Maybe we can start with uh, when you get a new client or customer, uh, what's the first thing you do to make sure they are telling the right story?
0: Ooh, such a good question. It all starts with a lot of research when I when I land a new client. I mean, I want to really get to know them. I want to learn about their business. I want to do as much research as possible. So I really like to ask them if I can take a look at past materials they've written. Maybe they already have a blog. Maybe they're just getting started. So I do have kind of an onboarding questionnaire where I ask some questions about who is their audience? Who are they trying to reach? What problems are they helping to solve? Kind of some of those typical marketing questions that you've probably heard before. But really, the biggest issue um, that I hear from clients or potential clients is they just don't really know where to begin when it comes to content. And a lot of them also are wondering, you know, is it still worth it to create content when there's so much noise out there right now? And obviously, uh, my answer to that is, yes, it's definitely worth it. (laughs) Um, But really, what I love to do is to help people kind of rein in all of their ideas and, and create a strategic content calendar that will actually help the bottom line and help them reach their goals, whatever that may be.
1: Gotcha. And, and do you find that a lot of people, um, well, let me, I'll give you some context first. Last year I interviewed Josh Garofalo and we kind of talked about how a lot of people in their messaging want to just reach everybody. Like my target audience is anybody who wants to buy stuff from me. Um, do you do you find that a lot of people are not sure what problems they're trying to solve are? Did I say that right? Are you, Have people identified the problem that they're trying to solve by the time they get to you?
0: Sometimes no. I mean, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I, a great example here is I work with theRightLife.com. So it's a website for writers. And one question that we're always asking ourselves is who is our audience? Because a writer is a very broad term. It could be a freelance writer, it could be a technical writer, it could be someone who wants to publish a book, be a nonfiction author, a ghostwriter. There's so many types of writing. So even within, you know, the right life knows who it's trying to reach, we know we want to reach writers. And then even from there, it's kind of do we need to niche down asking those hard questions. So I find that Sometimes people do have an idea. Maybe they have a broader audience that they're trying to reach. And then, you know, we try to figure out what are the different um, types of content we can create to reach various audiences kind of within their larger audience, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That that makes perfect sense. And so um, once you've identified the problems they're trying to solve, you've gotten to know them a little bit better. Uh, Where do you go from there? Do they hire you to do like specific types of content? Is it strictly for the blog? Is it like, I don't know if white papers is still like a common term? Absolutely. Um, Yeah.
0: So basically, the way I like to describe what I do, so I call it content management, but content management sounds kind of confusing. I can see how it's a pretty vague term. But what I often tell people is that if they bring on my team to help with content management, what they're really getting is an in-house managing editor. And I think that kind of helps people to think about Mm -hmm. it in a different way. So every client has different needs, but for me, this service can include a lot of stuff. It can include that editorial strategy that we just talked about. So kind of figuring out who the audience is, figuring out what type of content it is they're looking for. It also involves content planning, which is my absolute favorite part of the process. I live for creating a content calendar. It's my absolute favorite thing to do. And, you know, that's really fun because that's when you get to actually brainstorm, like, what is the content? What are some potential headline ideas? Part of my job is also finding writers. And that is something I can definitely speak to. I love working with freelance writers and kind of helping them to develop and hone their own voices. So I help to hire writers. I also help to and create content myself. So sometimes a client will want to hire outwriters who are experts in whatever topic they're talking about, but sometimes you know, me and my team will actually create the content for them. Also ranges from you know editing the work, doing headlines, a little bit of SEO optimization, helping a client figure out how to promote the content they have. I think that that's sometimes where people get frustrated with content is that they create this wonderful content and they put it out into the world but they don't promote it and no one sees it. And then they get frustrated that the content doesn't create results. So, you know, content strategy also includes making sure that you're promoting your content too. And then also helping a little bit with some email marketing, affiliate marketing. You mentioned white papers. That's definitely still a thing. Most of my clients now call it like eBooks or just like downloadables, Mm -hmm. whatever freebies. Um, But yeah, all, all of those things kind of fall under this umbrella of content management. But at the core is, you know, what you said, it's telling great stories that lead to someone taking some type of action.
1: Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So yeah, it sounds like you offer a whole wide range of things. Uh, and, but you said I live for creating a content calendar. So let's dig into that a little bit. Um, let's, I'll just, I'll give you a softball first. I think, uh, how important is creating a content calendar?
0: Creating a content calendar is immensely important. I mean, Without the calendar, you have no idea what frequency you're going to be publishing at. You have no idea, you know, what content you're actually putting out there. And especially when you're working with writers, you really need to try to work as far ahead as possible so that you can account for deadlines, you can account for editing time. So it's definitely important. And whether you're publishing five days a week or seven days a week, or even if it's just once or twice a month, it's great to kind of have that calendar to also see are there timely things happening within the year? Like we're obviously heading, well, right now we're recording in December, so we're coming towards the holidays. Not sure when this will go live, but depending on what time of year it is, there's there's certain content that might be a great fit. So if you're planning ahead, you have the opportunity to kind of seek out those opportunities and take advantage.
1: Yeah, I so I think that last part has been what's helped me a lot. Um, you know, like I said, I've I've uh, try. I'm trying to be more intentional, and that included creating a content calendar for this podcast from January through May. Uh, so I know that this episode is airing. Uh, you know, in the early part of the year, and you are right before my interview with Matt Maderos and podcasting, and you know, it's going to be like telling a story, then telling your story in a podcast, and then should you start a podcast? Um, and that's going to help me kind of cross promote uh, some other things, a course I'm working on and stuff like that. But I also know, uh, you know, later in the year, I might want to talk about some other things. Oh, we're going into summer. That's going to be like a feast or famine time for freelancers. Uh, let's talk about how to how to beat that. But um, so I, I agree. I just started doing content calendars like three months ago and it's i'm already seeing the benefit of it and i don't really feel like i'm doing it right um so my follow up question for you is uh what kind of what do you recommend for somebody who wants to create their own content calendar
0: sure so first off joe that's super smart that you're doing that and i love to hear that and it sounds like you're being really strategic about thinking about how your content you know you're obviously putting out this podcast content but you're also trying to figure out how it blends in with the rest of your business so i think that's super smart So kudos to you on that. Um, Thank you. (laughs) In terms of creating the content calendar, there's so many different ways. I I have a couple different tools that I love to use. One is called Airtable. It's a pretty, I mean, it has a lot of functionality. I I probably don't use it to the fullest extent, but I like to use their calendar function and just an easy way to kind of drag and drop ideas from one date to the next. Um, I also love to use, there's just a simple plugin. I can't remember the exact name, but a plugin for WordPress. That's an editorial calendar. And I use that for, for one of my clients as well. So, you know, already we're within the blog, you can kind of move things around easily. And of course you can just use your own calendars. You can use a Google calendar. Some people prefer spreadsheets. I'm more of a visual person. So I like to kind of look at the calendar by, uh, by a monthly view. Trello is another great tool. It's really up to you and kind of the way that you like to be organized. So for me, I'm kind of type A. I like to look at the calendar. Um, So I I prefer to kind of use the WordPress editorial calendar or just um, my own Google Cal.
1: Nice. That's fantastic. I use Airtable and I did not know they had a calendar view. So right after this interview, I'm going to be checking that out.
0: Yes. A lot Um, of functionality there.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I mean, Airtable is such a great tool. I feel like you get, Maybe too much for free. I haven't been (laughs) compelled to want to pay for it yet because I don't really use any of the paid features. But I also yeah, I love that. (laughs) And
0: I also use a very similar tool to that one called ClickUp that I'm a very big fan of. And it's very similar to Trello. Um, but it's I, I also use the free functionality and it's been fantastic for that. But in terms of just kind of going back to like what what goes on your calendar, for me, I keep it very simple. So I if I have a kind of a blog post idea or a headline idea, potential headline for that piece, I kind of just plug that into the day that I'm planning on publishing it and then work backwards to figure out other deadlines. So if a blog post is going live a month from today, I need to figure out you know, who's gonna be writing that post, when should the post get to me so that I can edit it, how long will it take me to figure out headlines to SEO, to do optimization for SEO, So working backwards in that way, but some people like to get a little more complicated. Some people like to create content briefs, and that's something that I do for some of my clients who like to kind of have more detail about what a post might look like up front. So we do a little research around the keywords ahead of writing the post, figure out what we want to include. Um, decide if we need to interview anyone, find some resources, and kind of put all of that in a document so that the writer has a lot of information to go off of. So that's something that you also might include in an editorial calendar if you'd like to take it kind of a step further.
1: This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Do you remember when you started your small business? It was no small feat. It took lots of late nights, early mornings, and the occasional all-nighter Bottom line, you've been insanely busy ever since. So why not make things easier? Well, my friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, intuitive, and keeps you way more organized than a dusty shoebox filled with crumbled receipts. As a side note, I actually told my accountant the first time that I used the shoebox method, and his face turned white. But In actuality, FreshBooks was one of the first things I bought when I started my business. I've been a FreshBooks user since 2009. It's easily the best accounting and invoice software for small business owners like us. Create and send professional-looking invoices in 30 seconds, and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. Nothing is better than sending out an invoice and getting it paid in the same day. That's happened for me with FreshBooks. You can also file expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part is that FreshBooks grows alongside your business. So you'll always have the tools you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Now there are a lot of features on this list I have here to talk about, but I'm going to pick two of my favorites. The first is late payment reminders. They are clutch. It's one less thing that I need to worry about when making sure I get paid. I don't have to keep track of exactly when I sent the invoice. And if I already sent a follow-up email or whether or not they viewed the email, all of that is taken care of inside FreshBooks. The other feature I really like is the automated expenses. I connect my business credit card to FreshBooks and my expenses automatically get imported. They are all there ready for me and my accountant to review. It makes tax time easier for both of us. And it's no secret that I love automation and these two features make my life a lot easier. After doing things by hand, FreshBooks is worth the price of admission just for those two things. So join the 24 million people who have used FreshBooks. You can try it for 30 days for free. No catch, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash built it and enter how I built it in the how did you hear about us section to get started. That's freshbooks.com slash built it. That's built with a T. Thanks so much to FreshBooks for supporting the show. And now let's get back to it. How far out should you write your content calendar? Do you do like a whole year or do you do like a quarter? what What do you think is best? or what do you do most of the time?
0: That's a great question. it's It really depends on the client and it depends on the posting frequency. For example, my client Muckrack. Muckrak is a um, a tool. Or PR professionals as a software, they post on their blog about four times a week. So that's a pretty robust publishing schedule. So when we're posting that much content, I like to try to plan a month or two months in advance. And typically the muckrack team or whatever client it is, they might have quarterly goals or some ideas um, by the quarter. But in terms of planning out the nitty gritty of what's going to be going live on their blog, we like to plan about a month or two in advance if you're publishing less frequently maybe you know four times a month you could still do that just a few months in advance or it sounds like maybe what you've done in the case of of your podcast and business is is kind of looking at the whole year and figuring out when are you going to be launching other products or other services when does it make sense so i think it really depends on on what your goals are but i personally work best planning out maybe a month or two in advance because things change and you want to take advantage of Opportunities that pop up as well. So, if there's a trend that's really hot right now and it kind of pertains to your business, it's important to be flexible and make some room on your content calendar to be able to address whatever it is um, that might be hot or trending at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. Um, I think that at least I've heard the term newsjacking for yep. uh, some of that stuff. Which I mean, it's it's a great call, right? Like, I mean, that's why we have hot takes, totally. Um, so. Uh, that's fantastic. So one to two months in advance, kind of depending on how often you publish, I think is a really great point. Um, so what are if I'm a freelancer or a small business owner, uh, and I say to myself, "I'm too busy to blog" or "I'm too busy to to put content out," um, I need to spend all of my time finding clients. What are some of the things that you would say to that? Like, how can how can publishing on a Regular schedule, right? Where you said it could be even once or twice a month. Um, how can that be helpful to to a freelancer or small business owner?
0: Putting out content is is so helpful for, especially for small business owners. And I think where people get overwhelmed is, like you said. A lot of times a small business owner, it's one person, they're so busy, they wanna focus on growing the business and they think that content, they know content's important, but they don't really know why or maybe they just don't have the time to do it. So one thing I like to encourage people to do is to look at the content that they already have. A lot of times business owners have content that they haven't really put out there in a public way that they could probably repurpose. I'm a really big fan of repurposing content. So for example, maybe even I would encourage a business owner to look back at their Instagram. What have they posted on Instagram in the past in a couple of months. A lot of times people tell mini stories in the caption of an Instagram post. Is there a story in one of your recent posts that you could potentially repurpose into maybe a little bit of a longer blog post? So that's kind of a way to do figure out something that you've already done and repurpose it in a new way. Another thing is business owners are always going around and speaking at conferences, events, webinars, and they create often a presentation for these kinds of events. And so I love to encourage people to repurpose the content that they've created for a presentation or for a webinar and turn that into something else. So I like to challenge myself when I create something to figure out how can I break this down into how many different ways can I break down this content to share it in a new way. So I like to encourage people in that way. So that's what I would tell people who already maybe are already have some content. But for those who have maybe no content, I would really encourage them to see if they could make the investment in hiring someone or and just seeing if it works, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I th- I I, uh, I think that's a really good point because um, it is an investment, right? It's I. It, so I'm actually going to tell a, a quick story about uh, one of the the sponsors for this show called Hrefs. Uh, they're sponsoring this episode, but I started using them before they sponsored, and I realized that my online courses site wasn't ranking as well as I thought it would, even though like I had the number one courses in a couple of subject matter areas. And it's because I wasn't putting out content on that site. I figured, oh, I blog on my blog. This other site will just be for courses. Um, But that's not a great strategy. I I should have regular content there. So what I've been trying to do, speaking of repurposing, is when I put out a YouTube video, uh, I write up a blog post along with it. I take the outline for the video and I publish that over on my online courses site. And so it's a great way, like you said, to take content I'm already doing and put it somewhere else.
0: I love that. Yes, and I and I know you recently did an episode on repurposing content with Jacqueline Schiff, from the founder of Podreacher. And full disclosure, I'm now working with Podreacher as their managing editor. But that's what really drew me to Jacqueline's business was I love that she essentially encourages people with podcasts to hire her and her company to repurpose podcast content into other online content and you know, for people who don't understand how content works, it might seem a little crazy or it might seem like you're repeating yourself, but you're really not. People consume content in so many different ways. Some people are visual learners. They love YouTube. Some people like audio, they're podcast listeners. And then other people really still love to just read long form articles online. So I think the more ways that you can get your content seen in the way that someone else wants to consume it, the better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I saw a dramatic uptick in downloads and listenership when I started publishing transcripts for each episode because I got feedback that uh, you know aside from the accessibility aspect, a lot of people just like to read or scan for the big points. So I think, like you said, it's super important. Uh, Jacqueline is awesome. I really enjoyed uh, having that conversation with her. I'll link to her episode and a bunch of other things we've talked about so far in the show notes over at how i built it it um i just wanted to mention one more tool around uh re- repurposing since that's what we're talking about right now and that's uh repurpose.io have, have you heard of this have you seen this
0: i'm embarrassed to say i haven't no
1: well i i would not be uh because it's mostly for media like podcasters um i found it recently like i found like a really good annual deal before their price went up but uh, what I'm using it for is taking this podcast and automatically sending it over to YouTube. Uh, so that's just another channel for my content, but they also create like audiograms and stuff like that. So they're not like a sponsor or anything. They're just a tool I'm that's top of mind for me recently. Um, and that's, again, another good way. If you're doing media stuff, uh, an easy way to repurpose without having to put any work at all in, right? Like if you make a YouTube video and you want to have a podcast, you can use repurpose to send your audio over to whatever your podcast host is. So um, repurposing, I think is a great idea, especially the Instagram. Uh, I I, like I see people post like tomes on Instagram. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's great. And I think it feels to people it's less daunting. I mean, the idea of sitting down and writing a blog post for a lot of us, especially those who maybe don't consider themselves writers, it's a really daunting task. And it's it's even daunting for me sometimes looking at a, a blank page. So I think for people who just want to speak out to their audiences, Instagram is so easy because they're just on their phone, they're posting a picture, and then they're just writing from the heart. And es- essentially, that's what writing should be. But it becomes a little more complicated when we know we're publishing it, you know, for the world to see. So I think that Instagram is a great place to kind of go back and see if maybe that inspires any ideas that you could use in the future.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a really great point. Um, so, when someone is trying to come up with content, right? Uh, you know, you looking at your website, you you talk about um, telling someone's story. How how would you recommend someone come up with ideas to to tell their own story? Like, you know, it's should I tell about the time like my first PHP code or whatever, like the first time I wrote PHP? Like, are people going to care about that? Uh, you know, it's. How do I weed out the good ideas from the bad ideas? Are there any bad ideas in content? Things like that.
0: Ooh, okay. Let's see. Where where to begin? That's a loaded question. Yeah. Yeah. So there, I guess there is bad content, I mean, or bad ideas. But I think when it comes to brainstorming, like put all of those ideas down on paper. So first I would say, you know, just brainstorming is a great way to start. But I also like to get ideas from other people. So... I kind of try to think about what are the questions people are asking me and for those who own businesses I'm sure whatever it is that their business is in people consider them an expert and are probably asking them questions. So for me, I get a lot of emails from from people saying, "I want to be a freelance writer. How do I get started? How did you get your first client? What's the best way to send a pitch to an editor?" So I kind of look at all of those questions that I get or questions that I see other people maybe asking on Twitter or on Instagram. And I consider those ideas as potential content for for my blog. So I think you know, thinking about what kind of questions you're asked the most is a really great place um, to get started as well.
1: That is just a fantastic idea because uh, people are. Sh- I mean, even if you like, if you have clients, clients are asking you questions about the process and about what about you know, oh, how do I help? How do I help you with this? What's the review process like? That's all, you know, that's all good content for you to publish.
0: Totally. And also, if you're, maybe if you're not getting asked those questions on a regular basis, put it out there and say, ask me anything. I, I was in a little bit of a blog rut on my personal blog uh, a couple months ago, and I decided to send out an email to my email list, and I made the subject line, ask me anything. And it was the simplest email I've ever written. It was probably three sentences long. And I said, I'm having a blog rut what do you want to know about? Ask me anything. It can be about business stuff. It can be about my life. It can be about my favorite TV show. Ask me anything. And I've never received so many email responses to an email newsletter that I've sent out than to that email. And I probably got about 30 responses. And of course, some of them were like more of the personal silly questions that I just answered for fun. But I got Mm -hmm. probably 10 solid future blog post ideas just from asking. So it never hurts to ask. And it doesn't have to be asking an email list or Twitter following, maybe even asking just people in your close circle.
1: Yeah, I'm absolutely stealing that idea. Please Uh. (laughs) do it
0: was, I probably stole it from someone else. But honestly, I was it kind of energized me too. like, hearing back from people, I was like, yes, this is why I blog because people do want to hear from me. And I think that's where a lot of times we can get bogged down to by getting discouraged by how much content is already out there people often wonder like is my voice unique do I have enough to say like why do people care but really it is important if you have a story that you're, you're putting it out there
1: this episode is brought to you by same if you ask me to name the single biggest workplace time waster I don't even have to think about it the answer is email in fact, a recent study found that almost 50% of the time managers spend tending to their inboxes is spent on emails that should have never been sent to them or that they didn't need to answer. But what if you could press a magic button and never see those time-wasting emails again? Well, that's exactly what Sainbox does. With just a few clicks, Sainbox automatically gets your email under control and filters out all the messages that don't need your focus. And you don't even have to switch email apps because it works in concert with whichever email client you already use. I've been using SaneBox for a few months now and I immediately saw big changes in the way I manage my email. I no longer get distracted by every little thing that comes into the inbox. I only see the important stuff until I choose to look at other folders. It also has some nifty features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can vanquish senders you never want to hear from again. I am unapologetic about that button. Plus, I created my own called Sane Money, where all online orders and banking info goes. So if I need to check in on something I ordered or need to get a tracking number or the latest bank statement, I know exactly where to go. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit Sanebox.com slash How I Built today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's Sanebox, S A N E B O X.com slash How I Built. That's built with a T. Thanks to Sanebox for supporting this show. And now let's get back to it. You mentioned your email newsletter. I think that's something that many guests on this show have preached that you should build. Uh, so as we kind of wrap up here, um, I'm wondering, we have all this great content. What do we do with the the eyeballs that are seeing that content? Do we prompt them to join our mailing list? Do we have a different call to action? Is it based on your goal? Uh, what What is generally the next step after I write this great content and I want to get somebody into, to I guess to use the salesy term, my funnel?
0: Sure. So. I do think it depends on your goal. I mean, maybe the goal at the end is to reach out to you for, or not you, but whoever, to reach out Mm -hmm. for whatever service it is that you're offering. But directing people to an email list is a really great way to get them into your funnel. So if someone reads a blog post that you wrote or an article that you wrote for someone else and you have the chance to link to an email list, once they're on your list, you can obviously nurture that relationship in a bit of a more personal way. That person has allowed you into their inbox And so one thing I always recommend when it it comes to email marketing is actually giving your email list a little bit more or something different than just what you're putting out there on your blog. So kind of letting them in helps to build that trust. And then when you do have something to sell or when you have something that you want to market to them, oftentimes they'll be a little bit more receptive to it. So I am a big fan of getting people on your email list because I think it's one of the best ways for you to build that trust and build that relationship to bring it on to, to bigger things perhaps.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, so this this last question before we get into the tips slash trade secret is for me. Um, we're talking about coming up with ideas for content when when you have your blog and then separately your mailing list. Are are we looking at like a house divided here? Do we need to come up with two sets of content for both, or you know, is there something else that you can do creatively? with your mailing list to repurpose the content there for your blog or vice versa?
0: Such a good question. And I struggle with this myself and I've changed my strategy up over the years Mm -hmm. because I I do think that it's important to include in an email to your audience a link at least to your recent blog post because people do consume information different way. Not everyone uses like an RSS feed or not everyone sees your tweet that you wrote a new post. So I do think it's important to include a link to your latest content within your email, but I also tried to always give my, my email subscribers something a little extra. So maybe it's something that I wanted to include in the blog post, but I didn't have the room or even sometimes I like to get more personal and vulnerable with my email list. And again, my, my blog that we're talking about right now, this isn't like for clients, but my blog is a business blog kind of about how I've taken my side hustle and turned it into a full-time business. So I, I give myself that liberty of being a little bit more personal and vulnerable. But I try to share just something a little extra while still making it relevant to whatever the most recent blog post is that I want to promote. And this is kind of gets us a little bit into tips. But one tip I would share in regards to email marketing is to always include a PS at the end. So I don't know why, but I I like a PS. Like I always find my eyes drawn down to that, even if I maybe haven't read the whole email itself. But you could always include a link to a recent post or even just an older post that you want to drive traffic to within that PS. So I would encourage everyone to give that a try and see how it does.
1: Awesome! That is another thing that I'm going to write down and make sure I do on my next newsletter. So I can always tell how good an interview is based on my action item list after it. And my, and this one is like getting long.
0: Oh, I love that. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. So thank you of very course. much. Um this is fantastic. So uh as we as we wrap up here, we've talked about a lot of stuff, you know, um why should you put out content, how do you come up with ideas and building a content calendar? What are uh a couple of tips that you would give to a freelancer or a small business owner uh who wants to be let's say more intentional about their content management?
0: One thing I would re- definitely recommend is taking an hour or maybe two hours away from wherever it is that they typically work to kind of just do a little bit of content brainstorming. And I'm sure that ideas come to them throughout the day and maybe they jot them down on their phone or put them in an email somewhere. But I find that if you actually set aside a chunk of time to do a little bit of brainstorming and thinking about content, you'll often find a little bit more success. So getting away from your desk, going somewhere else, maybe with the notebook, maybe leaving the laptop at home and kind of just sitting down and brainstorming some ideas. So that's definitely one tip. Um, Another tip again is to talk to people around you, ask them kind of what are they curious about when it comes to your business? What questions do they have? And those are the questions I love to answer. I realize that a lot of people in my life, even people who are super close to me, don't really know exactly what I do. And so I'm always trying to better explain that. So I think I get a lot of blog post ideas just from talking to people who don't fully understand what it is that I offer. And that's really good to know because a lot of times the people that you might work with, they don't have an understanding of what it is that you do because it's the service that they're looking for that they don't really know how to do themselves. So kind of asking those questions is a really smart way to, to develop some content. And then my third tip here would just be to get started. It doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to have a year planned out. If you have a blog post idea right now or a content idea, what's one small step that you can take today to get it started? Maybe it's writing an intro. Maybe it's coming up with a headline idea. It could be something super simple, but don't wait. A lot of times we wait because we want to make sure that we have our calendar in place. We want to make sure that we have enough content, but I would say just get started now and then that'll help get the ball rolling.
1: Uh I love that. uh that's fantastic. Um, that's the same advice I give to people who want to start a podcast, right is they say like, How do I start? and I'm like, just hit record, like figure it all out later. um but get comfortable in front of the microphone and know if you actually like this and and start recording yourself um so i think I think that's fantastic. uh thank you so much for for your time and all of this advice. Uh, I do need to ask my favorite question, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us?
0: I do. I have two trade secrets. One is very tactical, and then one is a little bit more general. So, my tactical idea here, my trade secret is around headlines. Headlines are a super important part of the content puzzle. And my tip here, and I actually learned this from Alexis Grant, who is the founder of The Right Life. She's one of my clients, but never write just one headline. For every blog post that I write for myself or for a client, I write five to 10 different headlines. And sometimes they're very similar. Sometimes it's almost the same variation, maybe just switching up a word or two. But once you get into the flow, it's kind of like brainstorming. Once you get into the flow of writing headlines, often the the first headline you write or maybe the one that inspired the blog post idea, it's not the best headline. Maybe it's not the best for search engine optimization. Maybe it's not really what the blog post is actually about. But by sitting down and writing five to ten headlines, you'll land on one that will really make sense and will probably resonate more with your community.
1: Awesome, uh, five to ten different headlines.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little I, bit of work, yeah, I, but it's it's yeah. good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's important. I mean you mentioned SEO specifically there. Um, yeah, I because you need to kind of figure out what what is going to attract people. Without, I mean, without. Um, deceiving them, right? You want to make sure that your headline summarizes what you're talking about as well as kind of gets the attention of the Google robots.
0: Yep, totally. And then my last uh, trade secret here, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit already, but it's really never too late to get started with content. And I'm sure the same goes for podcasting or starting a website or starting a business. I know it feels like everyone's out there doing it. But there's room for everyone and everyone has their own unique voice. So I always encourage people. It's it's really never too late to get started. Jump in now.
1: Awesome. Uh, excellent advice to end on. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much for your time. Uh, if people want to learn more, where can they find you?
0: Sure. So I'm at jessicalawler.com, And then I'm also on Twitter. Uh, my handle there is at jesslaw, and I love Twitter. So I'm always there chatting. So uh, find me there or on my website.
1: Awesome. I will link to those two things and a whole bunch of other resources we talked about today in the show notes over at howibuilt.it. Jessica, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much to Jessica for joining me today. I thought this was a fantastic and timely interview for me. Uh, my favorite takeaway was that uh, if you, you need an idea coming up with content to email your subscribers, your newsletter uh, subscribers, and tell them to ask you anything. I think that's fantastic. I've done that a few times since, and I've gotten some really great responses that have produced a, a lot of good ideas for me. Um, and then the other thing is, it always try to give your subscribers a little extra and always include a PS at the end. Uh, to draw uh, to draw them in. I think that's a lot of really good advice there. just around your newsletter and your newsletter is uh, your best place for uh, selling your products or your services and things like that. So again, thanks to Jessica for all of her fantastic advice. Uh, if you want the link, the links that we talked about, the show notes and all that fun stuff, you can head over to howibuilt.it slash 151. Thank you to this week's sponsors, SaneBox and FreshBooks. Those are two tools that I use every day in my business, and I'm so excited to have them on the show. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a rating review over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you are more interested in the membership that I mentioned at the top of the show, or you're wondering what kind of stuff will I learn if I sign up for a membership at Creator Courses, you can get a free guide on five tools to help you build websites faster over at howibuilt.it tools. So thanks so much for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something.